Hey, everyone. I'm interrupting this podcast to let you know that there will not be an episode posted on February 5th, as I'm closing up shop here in the Philippines and traveling back to Los Angeles. So instead, I invite you to connect with the thru-hikers in your life. Thru-hiking season is just around the corner, and they'll soon be off on new adventures. So take a moment this week and swap some stories while they've still got good cell reception. I'm sure there's at least a few you haven't heard yet. And now, on to the new episode. I mean, honestly, <laughs> this is not something that I, I don't necessarily wish this was the answer, but I, I don't want to fail. <laughs> like, I don't want to come home and say, oh, I've been talking about doing this thing for so long and I've been planning it and I've been posting about it. And now I just, I just quit halfway through because like it was kind of uncomfortable, right? I think it's, I don't know if it's ego or if it's something else, but I, I don't, I feel like if you're going to go for something, it, then you don't quit unless you really get hurt or something really goes wrong where you can't hike anymore. <laughs> and that's just the commitment, I guess, that you make in the, at the beginning. Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I talk to experienced through hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a through hike. Today's guest is Sketch, known off trail as Trisha Case. She soloed the long trail in 2019 to test whether the through hiking life was for her. Apparently, it was, as she's now planning to start the AT in February. In this episode, we talk about lessons learned, food preferences, sleeping around people gear, being wet, and a little hiker lore. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com, where you can also find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Sketch. Hey, Trisha. Was the long trail the first trail that you did, or did you do other hiking before that, and then this was sort of the first through hiking that you did? I did a lot of hiking before that. I grew up in Massachusetts, and the last, since like 2014, I decided I'm going to be like a hiker. (laughs) And I've done a lot of like short trips in the whites, mostly all in the whites. So a lot of like two to eight day trips. And then I was like, all right, I'm going to try the long trail. And if that works out and I like it still, I'm going to do the AT. <laughs> so I guess cut to the cut to the end of the story. You seem to like it. Yeah, I liked it. I was just reading through my journals to kind of remind myself of everything. And there are times where I was like, this really sucks, but like, I don't want it to end. <laughs> so even at the worst, you know, when it was really rough, I still wanted to keep doing it. So, yeah. That seems to be a common refrain. <laughs> This sucks so bad. I'm so wet. I haven't seen the sun in five days, you know, or whatever it is. Body hurts, but. Yeah, but nowhere near quitting or not wanting to do it anymore. On the trail, did you ever think about quitting? Yeah, there was one time I hiked in, it was like, there was no water for the first part. And then there was tons of water for the second part. It was just pouring for like a week and a half. And that was when my skin got really irritated, I think just from wearing the same wet clothes all the time. And it was really hot out. 
And I got to this inn and I called my parents and I was like, I don't know, man, (laughs) this really like my skin hurts. You know, I don't know if I can go back out into the rain. The forecast is like four more days of rain. But, you know, I did. But yeah, that was the only time that I was like, I was tempted to stop. When you say your your skin hurt or whatever, was it like a rashy type of thing or was it literally yeah. just? <laughs> it was. I have really sensitive skin anyway, so I don't know if it's just that. You know, I think it was just putting on wet clothes over and over and hiking in them. And just, yeah, I had like itchy, rashy skin. It was gross. <laughs> so knowing that now, what can you do differently on the AT? I don't think there's, I mean, I don't think there's really a way out of it. If it's going to rain for a week straight, mm-hmm. you're just going to have to put on your wet clothes, you know, like there's no bringing enough clothes for that not to happen. I don't <laughs> think, right? Not from a weight perspective. Right. So I'm just, I guess I'm just going to deal with it or maybe I'll, my skin will toughen up. I hope because <laughs> I know it's going to happen. <laughs> this is going to be your hiking plan. Okay. Skin toughen up. Yeah, tough enough. <laughs> I don't, there's no other way, I guess. And I mean, I you know, I still did it on the long trail, and it kind of seemed to it wasn't getting worse. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess because you were because what I heard you say, if if that's correct, is it was raining, but it was also hot. Yeah, which seems like the worst combination, actually. Yeah, it really was. I think because like you're also sweating all the time, and I just. You know, I know that if you're going to do any kind of long distance hiking, you have to be okay with being sweaty and really gross and really smelly. And but it just it really felt like the most wet and gross and smelly you could be (laughs) with all the rain and all the heat. But I I mean, I did have I struggled with that a little bit, but still worth it. (laughs) And I, (laughs) I guess eventually you dry out, right? That's right. Particularly when you're doing the long trail as opposed to the AT. Exactly. Yeah, I had kind of like a light at the end of the tunnel mm-hmm. that was a little closer, right, than if you still have five months to go rather than a yeah. couple days. I know. I, I was talking to a father and son, and I think they were saying it was almost like 80 or 90 percent of the trail for them was in rain. It just happened to be Oof. their bad luck, really. Wait, doing what trail? The AT. Oh, God, I know. And there's so much rain. Uh, yeah. I mean, at least you don't have to worry about running out of water. I guess that's the that's the plus. I love the glass half full. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to carry a lot of water ever. How Now, how long did it take you to complete the AT or the long trail? July 10th through August 6th. So I think that's 26 or 27 days. I went slow and I took a few days off. I, I like did it with the plan of going slow and hang out with some friends in Waterbury, Vermont for a couple days. And then I, I had like a foot injury, which really worries me about the AT. But so I ended up getting off trail for like a day and a half near the end and skipping like 20, 20, 25 miles, which, you know, is not ideal, especially on a not so long trail. But <laughs> like, so it took it, it took my time, 26 or 27. I can't. Something like that. And not all hiking days. And with your with your ankle or Achilles thing, was that something that you brought onto the trail with you that just got exacerbated by it? Or was that like a sprain your ankle type of thing on the trail? No, you know what I think it definitely was, was I had no issue at all for the first 
I mean, two and a half weeks or whatever, first big chunk. And then my, one of my shoes, I had the Brooks Cascadia trail runners. One of them just like ripped in half on a route and I didn't feel anything, but I had to buy shoes like the next day when I got to town I had to just buy whatever was there because they were really destroyed. And I bought a totally different kind of shoe. They were oboes. They were really heavy boots mm, kind of. Okay. And I that's what I think it was going from trail runners to these really heavy clunky boots all of a sudden. And then like one day after that, it started hurting. So I think that's definitely what it was. And I think so then it's something I can avoid in the future. But yeah, that was I think that was it. Yeah. Find find your shoe and, and just stick with it. Exactly. Yeah, I think. And I, I just didn't I didn't plan on switching out my shoes, you know, for like a three and a half week hike. I thought I love these shoes. I'm going to be fine. But then I didn't expect them to rip one of them to just rip in half. I saw that picture. It was literally in half. Yeah, it was nuts. And it was like, I didn't feel, it didn't get hurt. It just suddenly I felt some little pull on my foot and it was gone. <laughs> the shoe was over. So I, I love your duct tape magic, but. did you, It did not stay at all because that was during the wet time too, right? So it just, it fell right off and I just had to, I just walked in it. <laughs> this is going to be a silly question, I know, but how did you walk That's in okay. that? You know, I mean. It, it, that probably also changed your gait to some extent as well. Yeah, I bet it messed my foot up, honestly, because I couldn't really like flex my foot the way I normally do. I definitely was just sort of like picking it up. I had Tevas with me too. I have like these kind of lightweight Tevas that I was using for camp shoes. Mm -hmm. So I did switch to those when it felt safe, when it wasn't on like a rocky mountain. And it was kind of coming back down and on more like a dirt path. And so I think that was probably a good call, but... Walking in them wasn't good. It wasn't easy. And I was definitely just picking up my whole leg, you know, <laughs> instead of. And then, so you took the time off of the trail at that point, which was a day, day and a half, you said? Yeah, it was like a day and a half. My dad was coming to meet me anyway for the last couple of days. He's in his 70s. So I knew I, I had a planned for us like four or five mile days just because I didn't want to push it too much. And, right. Uh, but he ended up just meeting me like one day earlier. He picked me up and we went to a motel and just spent like one whole day laid up in a motel. And that really did it. Like I was fine when I went back. So I think that taught me, you know, like, I think if you just listen when something's wrong, <laughs> like I think I could have made it a lot worse if I just kept, I could have kept hiking. Yeah. But I, I felt like, man, if I just call my dad, <laughs> even though I'm 30, <laughs> I'm going to get nailed out here <laughs> and like just spend one day laying around this motel and hopefully then at least I can finish. I just wanted to finish, you know, I didn't really care about skipping the 20 miles, especially because I feel like at least for the long trail, at least from what I've heard, right? Because I definitely skipped that 20 miles, so I don't know, but <laughs> the most exciting, yeah, but the most exciting, cool stuff is way up north. And I think that's true, at least from what I saw. So I was like, I wasn't too bummed about missing that 20 miles or so. Right. And and your point of being out there was to see if the through-hiking life was for you. Yeah, it was. Yeah, exactly. So. And I thought, I don't want to mess up my foot more than I have to <laughs> in order to just like kind of figure this out and... I just, I, I really wanted to finish, like, go across the Southern Terminus with my dad. That might not happen if I push it. <laughs> so it, it sounds like you were hiking smart as opposed to, I just have to hike it. Yeah, I think I was. And I think it was because 
I wasn't thinking of it as like the final destination, right? I really want to do the AT. <laughs> so even though the long tail, it was amazing. And I had like such a great experience and I felt like it was definitely a, an adventure in itself. I was okay with it not being perfect because I think I will be a little crazier on the AT. Honestly, <laughs> I don't want to miss any of it, <laughs> but yeah, the LT, especially because it's the part that overlaps too. So I was like, well, I'll do it again. <laughs> oh, the part that where you had to step off. Yeah. The Southern part. So it all sort of worked out in that respect. Yeah, I think it did. I, it was great. I mean, I, I had a really good experience, even with that little, it really wasn't, it really wasn't a big deal. And I think it's because I got off when I got off the trail. Right. Yeah. Now for, for people listening, what, where is the long trail? Oh, okay. It's, um, it's in Vermont and it goes from the Canadian border down to Western Mass. So it just goes vertically down Vermont, <laughs> the whole state, 272 miles. And it's, I think it's the lo- oldest long distance hiking trail in America. When do you think it was created? Man, I can't remember. I used to know. <laughs> I definitely read about it a lot. And I am, now I kind of want to look it up really quick. <laughs> Thank God for Google. I'm doing it. Can you hear me typing? I can. <laughs> I need to know. <laughs> uh, no, oh, okay. So they created it between 1910 and 1930. That's kind of wild to think in 1910 that, that this was something that they were interested in doing. Right? Long distance hiking? It seems sort of like a more modern phenomenon than that. But I mean, I guess people have been going on pilgrimages forever. <laughs> True. Could you imagine yourself in 1910 doing this in those clothing and those packs and those? (laughs) I like to imagine that. I like to think I would. I saw some really cool old pictures of maybe not from the 1910s, but women doing it in like the 1950s and 60s. And so that's pretty cool. Where did you see the pictures in a book or? Yeah, they have. um, I can't remember what it's called, but there is a long trail, some sort of a magazine. I can't remember what the name of it is, but they had them in like every shelter and cabin along the trail. So I would find myself reading that a lot. But you also brought reading material with you, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I read some, I brought some short stories that I ripped out of larger short story books, <laughs> which was good. So is that, is that, would that be the plan for the AT as well? Or are you going to try to go light, light? I think I'm going to go lighter. I really, I really love reading books from, the page from the physical book. But yeah, especially as like, you know, I was a literature major and I teach English. (laughs) I'm really into it. But I think, I don't think it makes sense on the AT. I think I'm just going to read from my phone, like a Kindle app on my phone. And if I see on the long trail, and I think on the AT, there's sometimes little libraries. What are they called? Like those tiny little boxes that are made into libraries where you kind of like leave a book and take a book. Right. If I see something like that, I, and like there's a smaller book, I can see myself picking one up for sure. But I don't think I'm not going to plan out physical books to bring with me or swap out or anything like that. Listening to you talk about it, I can tell it hurts you just a little bit to have to read the Kindle app. <laughs> it, yeah, it does. I'm, I'm trying to get used to it right now. I've been reading on my phone. It's all right. It'll work. And I, you know, I have my, I have a good portable charger. I have one of those anchors that everybody has and it works really well. So I think I'll be able to read a little bit at night. It'll be good. I was just going to say, because you were talking about bringing the anchor. I was going to ask if, is there like a gut hooks app 
for the long trail? There is. Yeah, everybody uses it. It's great. And so it's so clear, though, when you look at it, which part overlaps with the AT because it has way more information because, <laughs> you know, it's kind of crowdsourced. Right. So there's all this information about where the water is and what shelters are good in the southern 100 miles. And then the northern almost 200 miles, it's kind of there's just clearly not as many people doing it. So it's a little info is a little more scarce, but it was super useful. I used it the whole time. That definitely sold me. I already bought it for the AT. <laughs> I used it constantly. No problems with navigation or with that on your phone? I don't think so. Uh, well, I also, I did carry a, a hard copy map. They make a great map of the LT that all folds into one piece and it's not super big, you know, cause it's not the longest trail, mm-hmm. but I did like, I liked having the paper map. I looked at it every morning. I used it a lot, but I did use gut hooks more and I didn't really have issues except when you're going southbound on the long trail, it's really not something that very many people do. I found <laughs> it's not the normal way to go and not that many people do the long trail compared to the other long trails, you know? So there were parts that just weren't blazed for someone going in my direction. <laughs> so there were, especially like on the ski mountains, sometimes I would be on a ski trail on a ski mountain up north and I just would have no idea where if I was on the trail or just on a ski trail. <laughs> oh, wow. So, that So that was when I was really glad I had gut hooks because I could look at it. And, you know, even when you don't have service, you can see where you are in the GPS map. So I could tell, all right, the trail's to the left of me. I'm not on it. <laughs> and I, I was never lost for any amount of time, really. I just I had times where I wasn't sure if I was on the trail. <laughs> Did you start to develop a sense of it? Meaning like you'd be walking for a little bit and kind of go, you know, this just doesn't quite feel right. Let me check. Yeah, I don't know if I developed a sense, though, because most of the time I was on the trail and I was just checking and I w- there wasn't an issue at all. <laughs> so I don't know if I was developing any kind of a sense or if I was just kind of paranoid and needed to always make sure I was on the trail. <laughs> but I was glad I had it. It was really reassuring, especially because the long trail. I mean, I'm sure this is true for the AT, too, and maybe the PCT. I don't know. But a lot of it there were chunks that didn't feel like a trail at all where you're kind of like on a logging road or you're on a street or you're like, like I said, like on a ski slope and you're, it just doesn't feel like a trail. So you're kind of doubting yourself and then often you're in the right place anyway. You said it's not well-marked going Sobo, but how well-marked is it overall? I think, oh, it's pretty well-marked. I don't, I think it would be hard to actually get lost on the long trail. Did you try to get lost or? or I (laughs) I didn't, I didn't try. I I think I'm just always afraid that I am lost, so I have to check a lot. (laughs) But I definitely, especially compared to hiking all over the Whites, I've done some trails that are less popular in the White Mountains that were a lot harder to follow than on the long trail. So, yeah, I think they they do a pretty good job of maintaining it. How many people did you end up, I mean, I'm assuming you're crossing the northbound people and you're crossing the people who are on the AT, but how many people were you running into that were going your same direction? Only maybe the whole time, five or six people. Oh, wow. Okay. But also they might've just been, you know, spaced out from me in a way that we didn't run into each other. Mm -hmm. Like they exist. I did it at a popular time too. I did it in midsummer. So it was really, a lot of people do the long trail that time, but I didn't meet very many at all. I met one guy, big bear. We met for, we like stayed at the same shelter a couple of times and he was faster than me. And I crossed a couple other people. I heard about a couple people. But yeah, no, total maybe five or six. Not a lot. 
You're right. Mostly I met people in passing. Yeah, I would expect. Do you know how popular the long trail is in general? Like how many people generally hike it or through hike it, I guess? God, I can't remember. (laughs) Yeah, I want to (laughs) Google. I I feel like it's, it's hundreds every year. I am looking it up. I can't help it. I need to know. No worries. Oh, yeah. So it's about a thousand. No. Oh, (laughs) yeah. I think I think it's somewhere in the several hundred range. I can't find it right now. But is it is it a popular? I think it's popular for people in this area. Like most people I knew when I was talking about potentially doing the AT immediately went, oh, why don't you do the long trail first? So it's pretty well known. But I don't know. I don't really know what the popularity is compared to something like the AT or the PCT. It's definitely less popular, you know? Yeah. People don't make, people don't come from around the world to do the long trail, as far as I know. Not really. Right. They're not carving out their life, so to speak, to do the long trail. Right. It's not really like, as far as I know, it's not something that you dream of doing since you're little. And then, you know, <laughs> for me, I mean, it was wonderful, but it wasn't. Yeah, it was, it's not really like the same uh, draw, uh, draw that the other ones have. Now, is it like the AT? Is it shelters all the way up or or down, I guess? Yeah, there's a lot of shelters. and Yeah, and on the long trail, especially in the north, there's all these really cool big kind of old cabins that you can stay in. So they're great. They have often like a big loft and a door and a, a lot of times like a big porch so it's pretty cool. And especially since there's not a ton of people, there's always room. And that was kind of nice. I, I started out thinking I was never going to stay outside my tent because I really like my tent and I'm comfortable there and I feel like I have my privacy. And then when I was on the long trail, I just kind of, I really quickly realized when I'm tired and there's a cabin, <laughs> like, why wouldn't I stay in the cabin? I don't know what I was thinking. So I ended up staying inside a lot pretty much every time I was there and there was room and it was at all rainy or anything. Which was quite a bit in the north. Or is it yeah, well, in the north, it was actually dry. It was like it was everyone was freaking out about the scarcity of water. I think there was technically a drought, but I never had problem finding water. I mean, everybody I ran into was like, where's the next water? Do you know where the, like, are you good with water? Do you need water? And I, I really had no issue with water, so I was kind of surprised. I wondered if if they all had gut hook because <laughs> there was, there was running water every few miles, really, if you were looking for it. So I never had a problem finding water, but it was pretty dry in the in the northern part. So and you didn't so that meant you didn't have big water carries either, correct? No, never. I mean, I always carried too much water though, which is something I'm gonna try not to do in the future. But I often carry like two liters of water with me. I think just I don't know why I think that's how I was taught to hike. <laughs> and then I don't think that was necessary, though. I think I could have got along with one liter just fine most of the time. And I know I hear a lot about people just when they hit water, they drink a lot of water right there at the source. Yeah. You know, to kind of fill up and not have to carry so much. And that's not something I did. And I think I could have. I hear the same thing that it's like you it's almost like you're hoarding water. It's almost like a camel, the the camel theory. Yeah. Yeah, I find myself hoarding water and food. I always had too much water and too much food. I think that's something I've been I've been realizing it's not necessary, especially on a trail like the Long Trail or the AT. Like, you're never that far away from food. You're never that far away from a town. You're not going to starve to death. You're going to be okay. You're not going to die of thirst either. 
it's rare that you're going to have to go at more than a couple miles for more water, you know? How will your, your food, either choices and or how much you carry change going on to the AT? A lot. I mean, I carried way too much food. I also sent myself resupply boxes the whole time on the, on the long trail. Because my thought was, I'll try it and I'll see how it works. You know, I'll, I'll plan all my food out. Maybe I can save money this way. I made all my meals. I made all these like dehydrated meals and had my dad send me all of them. <laughs> and I had, I had the dates and the addresses on them. So I was really locked into the schedule. <laughs> I found I hate that. But I sent myself too much food. I sent myself food I didn't want. <laughs> yeah, I, I won't do that again. That's something I learned for sure. Like I'm not sending resupply boxes and I'm not carrying that much food. So what was the food that you thought you would like at the beginning but ended up hating? Hmm. Definitely, I, I have heard this from so many people, so now I know it sounds kind of like obvious, but I made this big, huge batch of trail mix before I left. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and I set myself a big bag in every single box that I was getting every four to five days. And then I just, yeah, by the last box I got, I just, all I wanted to eat was, I put Haribo sour gummy bears in it, which is like my favorite food. But all I wanted to do was eat the gummy bears out of it and throw the rest away. <laughs> I did. I made myself carry it and eat some of it, but like I didn't want any more peanuts or whatever other dried fruit or whatever I put in there because it was all the same. I realized, I, and I kept stopping in towns and walking right by Walmart and you know dollar stores, and I was like, this is definitely the way to go because <laughs> I could make up my mind right now about what I'm in the mood for. Why would I send myself this stuff ahead of time? Did you find your self getting sick of? I mean, other than obviously the trail mix getting sick of certain meals or wanting to change out meals after a certain number of days? Yeah. I mean, I think I tried to make, I made a bunch of stuff that was just kind of like pasta or instant mashed potato or whatever based stuff like that, rice based. And a lot of it, I just was like, Oh, one thing I had, I was just reading from my trail journal and it was like, I finally ate the couscous I've been carrying around for two weeks. <laughs> and it was not great, even though I was so hungry. You know, that kind of thing where I, I thought like, this will be healthy and cheap and it'll do the job. It was not what I wanted at all. Like all I wanted was mac and cheese or honestly ramen. Like I could eat ramen every night, but I did not want this plain couscous with like whatever disappointing sauce I had in there. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It was not good. I don't want to do that ever again. Was it the flavors of like the ramen and the mac and cheese and stuff like that that you really craved or or something else? Yeah, I kind of think maybe the pre-made stuff. It, it's probably because I didn't make very good stuff, right? But I think the pre-made stuff tends to have a lot of salt and a lot of flavor that I just, I even though I tried to, I tried to put, I put red pepper flakes in there and I put salt and pepper and I tried to put, I bought all this dehydrated vegetables. I put a lot of different veggies in there and it still just didn't do, it wasn't as flavorful. It wasn't as salty. It wasn't as cheesy. Any of those things that I really find myself craving when I'm hungry in the woods, I didn't do a good job at recreating that stuff. And really it's not, my idea was that maybe I could figure out a real cheap way to do it. And it's not cheaper than buying ramen or mac and cheese, you know, like those are the cheapest things. I know. So you might as well just buy <laughs> Those are like poor college did college kid cheap. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you're not saving money by sitting around and filling 
freezer bags with couscous and stuff. So I don't know. <laughs> now it seems silly to me. I don't really. I think I had to try it though. I guess it didn't work. Well, and this this was your <laughs> this was your test trail. Yeah, I guess it was. Now, especially now that I'm talking about it, it, sounds. I think that is what it was. You know. So, what other things did you learn on your on your test trail that will change or that will inform the way that you go about the AT? Oh, I know a big one is I had this thing in my head, especially because when I've gone out in the whites before on my own, I very much I like to find like secluded spots and be alone. And I enjoy that. And I thought on the long trail, I imagined myself like totally steer- steering clear of the shelters and the places that I knew that people would be uh, coming together. And then I found that I really, oh, I had this one really scary night where I stealth camped in the woods kind of near a highway. I, I could hear the cars all night and I really hated it. Like it was terrifying this way that I had not experienced before. And I felt, I just wished I could hear other people around me. And from that night on, that was pretty early. And from that night on, I just stayed at the shelters. Even if I stayed in my tent, I stayed close to the shelters so I could at least chat with people. We were making dinner or hanging up our clothes or whatever. And then I could still retreat and be alone in my tent, but I wasn't I didn't feel so isolated in the middle of nowhere, like some kind of horror movie introduction or something. <laughs> like, you know, I, my imagination really goes wild, I found. And I like to be around people, even if I'm not in a shelter right next to someone. I like to be close to people. So, so what is your preferred literature? Just so we're, we're checking here. Oh, oh man, like everything. I, I like a lot. I mean, I like the these old British novelists, like I like the Bronte sisters in Austin, but I also really like, I'm super into comics. I wrote a lot about comics for my masters. I brought, when I brought short stories with me, I brought Chekhov and also this Chinese author, Suisse and Far. I like, I mean, I really like everything. I'm really, what I'm excited to read on the AT is I've never read the Lord of the Rings and I want to read all of them while I'm on the trail. And I think that would be kind of perfect. <laughs> it would kind of be perfect. A long journey. Yeah, I think I can, and I can really get into feeling like I'm on this epic journey with these characters, I think. So I'm very excited about that. I want to do that. I can, so I'm going to ask this question because I, in my head, I've already, I've already picked an answer for you, but um, <laughs> did you ha- get a trail name on the long trail? Was there enough people around? I got, I kind of got one and it was sketch because I like to draw as well. It was drawn by the campfire one night and somebody said, we could call you sketch. And I kind of liked it, but it was near the end and I'm not married to it. <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm kind of ready for the AT to give me a new one. Why do you have one for me? Is it like Frodo? <laughs> I, I was going to say like you, Lord of the Rings, the, the, it, the adventure of it. Like there's something in there that's going to come together. I just feel it. <laughs> I hope so. I think I would like a Lord of the Rings themed name. That would be good. So I don't know if Frodo is the right one for you, but there's something in there. I'm sure of it. Oh, all right. I hope you're right. I would be happy with that. I would like a literature inspired name. I think that'd be great. It would be perfect. Yeah. What other things, I mean, because circling back to kind of the, the, the original question we were talking about, which was kind of what were the other things that you learned about your hiking style or learned about the trail, you know, food, equipment, you know, whatever wise that will help you set up for the AT. 
I mean, as far as like equipment, I feel like what I learned was what I already have is generally pretty solid. Like I, I love listening to, I love listening to your podcasts and all kinds of anything I can listen to about long trails and gear. And I love watching YouTube videos. And I think it's really easy to feel like you need all the most expensive stuff. But I went on the long trail with the stuff I've been using for four years, which is like an old REI quarter dome tent, which is, I mean, it's a good tent. And, but like not a name brand sleeping bag, you know, just kind of general stuff that wasn't very expensive is not super light and it all worked great. So I feel like that taught me, okay, I don't need to buy all brand new stuff for the Appalachian Trail. I can just kind of... I can use mostly what I already have. That was kind of a big lesson because I think it can be really easy to fall into the trap of feeling like you need all this expensive brand new gear. That was a lesson. Well, and I feel like like the brand new gear thing, it's really about the ultralight thing. Yeah, it is. So if you're willing to carry the weight. That's true. And it's such a fine line, isn't it? Because I don't want to carry so much weight that I'm I'm putting myself in danger of more kind of injuries. But Especially I want to start in February, right? So I'm going to need cold gear. I'm going to need winter gear, and that's gear. (laughs) And I just have to know that. That's okay. But Now, why do you want to start in February? Really, because I teach teach college-level English. I'm like a full-time adjunct professor right now. And so in order to get back in time for the beginning of the semester, I just want to make sure I have like a full six months with a little bit of wiggle room. But isn't February when school is still in session? Oh, wait. I took this semester off. Ah. The spring semester. Yeah. So I want to get back for the fall semester. Okay. And it was kind of one or the other. You know, right. like, I guess I could have started later and then taken off the fall semester. But instead, I took off this semester. <laughs> and I've just been working all kinds of restaurant jobs <laughs> to make extra money. And yeah, so I decided to start early. Partially because I want to get back in time, partially because I kind of wanted to beat the bubble. But mm-hmm. it looks like there's a ton of people starting in February this year. <laughs> so, so you tried to outthink them and they outthought you. <laughs> we all outthought each other. Yeah. I mean, we're there's going to be a ton of us out there in mid-February, it looks like, which is kind of nice. No, just especially since I know it'll be cold and a little, a little more dangerous than starting later. It's nice to know that there are going to be people around. Well, and, and I guess that's that'll be a big difference from the long trail stuff, too. Yeah, it will, especially because I started a, at the Canadian border. I didn't, I really didn't see many people for several days. I was kind of alone, which I liked. But I'm ready. I think I'm ready. I'm ready to be pretty social on the trail. I think that will be cool. And also, you know, do my own thing. I think that you can do both. <laughs> I know you can. So be unsociably social? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like meeting, I like that you're going to definitely be around people every night and probably it's up to everybody, right. To do it their own way. But I like that. I I know I'll probably be hiking alone all day, every day, but then know that I'm going to be able to kind of meet up and chat and talk about whatever chunk we all just hiked (laughs) and what's coming up next. It's reassuring. It's nice. Do you plan on trying to use your tent as much as possible or staying in the shelters more? You know, I don't know. I I do still like my tent. I like in general if it's not raining and it's not an amazing cool t- shelter or cabin or something. Like that's a kind of a deal breaker, right? If it's really cool, I want to stay in there. Okay. 
But if it's one of those just normal little three sided tents that's on or uh, shelters that's on most of the AT, then I could skip it. I could be in my tent. I like to be in there. I like to go to sleep when I want to go to sleep. And sometimes the only thing on the long trail that bugged me about this, a couple of the larger cabins that I stayed in, is like people hanging out and talking until late at night, which is totally fine, right? It's like this open, common space. Everyone can do whatever they want. But I like to just kind of put in my headphones and fall asleep at like 8 or 8.30, <laughs> like an old lady. So... <laughs> It's easier to do that. That's uh, that's basically Hiker Midnight. Yeah, it's just about Hiker Midnight. Oh, God, my first night on the long trail, I met these guys that taught me about Hiker Midnight. And I just think of them so fondly. <laughs> like they, One of the guys had hiked north from Georgia and decided to just finish the long trail instead of going to Maine. Like instead, he just veered off on the long trail. <laughs> And I thought that was such a strange choice, but I also kind of loved it. But he he taught me about like Hiker Midnight and all kinds of just sort of hiker lore. <laughs> and I loved that. Like what else? God, what else? I don't know. I feel like there's a couple stories that you hear over and over that just seem like they're, they never have actually happened. But everybody has the same story. Like, um, hey, have you ever heard anybody tell you? That you should really always filter your water no matter how clean it looks because one time some guy they knew didn't filter their water and then they walked 10 feet further on the trail and they saw a big dead deer lying in the water. I have not heard that story. I feel like five different people told me that. And it was always like someone they knew or someone told them this story. And I mean, it's a good advice, right? Everyone should filter their water. But I just, it feels so... It feels like such hiker lore to me. Like, I I don't know that that actually happened to all these different people <laughs> that know people, you know? like It seems unlikely that one, they all knew the same person. Yeah, right? And I don't think it happens that often. So, yeah, it's just that kind of stuff that you hear. And it's kind of fun. It's all part of the culture and community of it. Yeah. I know we keep getting distracted by, by tangents, but circling back <laughs> to the original question... Um, <laughs> Like, what else did you find that you'll will change how you decide or how you've now decided to hike the AT? Hmm. I had something else and I'm forgetting now. I mean, so, I mean, everything, I guess. But, oh, another thing, I guess, is like um, not feeling like every day has to be the way that you kind of imagined it to be in your planning days. <laughs> Because I think that we really, I mean, at least I have a real tendency to have all these really picturesque future plans. I imagine how the big mountains are going to be like on the long trail. The two biggest mountains are Mansfield and Camel's Hump, right? And it's like, they're going to be the big, hard, beautiful mountains that I'm going to hike in the, in northern Vermont. And they're so rugged and they're so cool. And Mansfield was amazing. And then I got to Camel's Hump and I had like the worst day ever. Like I... It was raining and it was really, really windy and I couldn't get over the summit. Like I had to give up. (laughs) No, I couldn't get over the hump. (laughs) Um, There was a ranger there and I was like, it was really, really windy. And I was like, is it okay to go over the summit right now? And he said, you can try. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, well, what does that mean? So I tried and I went up above the tree line and my backpack, like my rain cover got sucked up into the sky immediately. Yeah. I just watched it like fly up into the air 
because it was so windy and it was so windy that I thought I was going to fall off of the mountain and I just turned around and came back down. And, but I was so discouraged by that. I was so frustrated. I really wanted to get over camel's hump. <laughs> and then I had to take this bypass trail. I only missed like 0.2 miles of trail or something, right? Like the very summit. But I was so discouraged. I was in such a bad mood about it. I got to the next shelter and I just like threw my stuff down. And I was like, I can't believe I missed like the second highest peak of the hike. I'm so frustrated about that. But I, over the next day or two, I kind of came to terms with it. And I was like, that's not really the end of the world. The hike is bigger than these two highest peaks. It doesn't like that was the smart thing to do. It's okay. It doesn't ruin anything. (laughs) I think it's really easy to get hung up on that stuff. And I think I learned a little bit about how not to get hung up on that stuff. You got some perspective? Yeah, I think so. Or found perspective, I guess. I hope so. Yeah, I want to hang on to that feeling of like, you know, maybe you have seven places on the trail that feel like the most important places. And what if you just have a really bad day on one of them? It doesn't, doesn't really mean much. It's okay. <laughs> right. Should maybe expect that. Yeah, probably. Yes. Yeah. Right. Cause like, what are the chances you're going to have perfect weather for whatever the Mount Washington? Like, I don't know really what the biggest places are in them on the PCT, but I'm sure there are a handful, right. That everybody talks about. Uh, like, yeah. Like Mount Whitney. Sure. Yeah. Like, what if you have Pass, really bad- things like that. Yeah. If there's like a horrible storm or something that day, and then you have to skip something or go back later or something, you know, it's fine, (laughs) but it doesn't feel fine in the moment. So like, I've been waiting for this. Right. It's been built up in your head. Mm -hmm. It's all you've been thinking about. Exactly. Pictured it a million times and it didn't look like this. Well, I guess, and that would be the, uh, kind of a tangent question, but like on the trail itself, I'm assuming that you had mental images in your head about what it was going to be like and what the days were going to be like, what things were going to look like, you know, and so forth. And then you get out there and, you know, it's very rainy. And I saw the the lovely picture you had of the trail basically as a small creek. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and things weren't what you expected them to be or what you had pictured them to be. Was that hard to get around or did you kind of just embrace what it was once you got out there? Some of both definitely. Right. Like, especially I was so, I was really um, annoyed that when my dad finally came and met me, it really was, it was, the trail was a stream. And he was like, is this what it's been like the whole time? And I said, <laughs> no, it's been really, really lovely and <laughs> not like walking through a river. So I'm sorry that this is your experience. <laughs> It could be really frustrating. Yeah. But I think, I think in the end, I mean, I like to, I think there's no point in doing something like this. If you're not going to try to be positive about all these ridiculous things that end up happening, you know, I knew that before I did the long trail and I know it now. I think you can both be bummed out about and frustrated with these inconvenient and like ugly things that you weren't expecting, but also kind of appreciate that that's what makes it such an adventure at the end of the day. That's what makes good stories anyway. Exactly. If nothing else, you'll have a good story. Yeah. Yeah. And it wouldn't really be that much fun if it was all exactly as you expected it to be, would it? I mean, (laughs) true. Was there any of it that was as you expected it to be? 
I think I definitely had some really ideal moments. Like I stayed on the top of Bromley Mountain and that was like definitely the best night. I had read about it on Gut Hook. Everyone said, stay on the top of this mountain. Don't miss it. There's a beautiful hut. And if it's nice out, you can camp on the top of the ski mountain. And it was just the perfect night. It was a beautiful sunset. I got to, it was right when we kind of, I was meeting a lot of AT hikers and they were telling me all these stories about the trail. And I was just wishing I could go with them. (laughs) But we were having such a night, you know, we all sat outside and watched the sunset and we all stayed on top of this mountain and we woke up and the clouds were below us and above us. And it was, I just kept being like, can't believe I'm so lucky that I get to be here. And that I get to like, this is why I did this was for nights like this. So yeah, I think sometimes the stars align, right. And you get to have a perfect night like that. And that sustains you. Yeah, I think so. You know, and then you're, and then you're like, maybe it'll happen again. (laughs) Maybe not tomorrow, but <laughs> that's the the carrot in front of you that you'll yeah. you'll have one of another one of those. Yeah, yeah. Eventually, you'll have another Instagrammable night. No, I'm just kidding, but it'll be really beautiful and it feel perfect for a minute. Yeah, and if not, then it's type two fun, right? You get to feel like it was fun. Like now, the stream trail seems really fun to me, even though it didn't while I was doing it. But it's also, a. I mean, either way you look at it, whether it's that perfect moment or whether it's the stream trail and you can't believe that you're walking mile after mile in this and day after day in this, they're both great stories. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's kind of like win-win when you look at it like that. <laughs> yeah. Again, glass half full. Yeah. Always trying to do that, you know, <laughs> even when it's hard. I'm sure it is certainly harder when you are out on the trail in the middle of it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I know that there were a lot of moments, even on, just on the, I know long trail, you know, it's not that long, but almost a month of hiking straight, that was, I definitely hit a lot of moments where I was like, God, am I going to be able to do this for longer? Can I even make it through this trail? <laughs> for sure. So what, when you had those moments of, of questioning, what pushed you forward or what kept you moving forward? I mean, honestly, <laughs> this is not something that I... I don't necessarily wish this was the answer, but I, I don't want to fail. <laughs> like, I don't want to come home and say, hell, I've been talking about doing this thing for so long and I've been planning it and I've been posting about it. And now I just, I just quit halfway through because like, it was kind of uncomfortable. Right. I think it's, I don't know if it's ego or if it's something else, but I, I don't, I feel like if you're going to go for something, then you don't quit unless you really get hurt or something really goes wrong where you can't hike anymore. (laughs) And that's just the commitment, I guess, that you make in the, at the beginning Mm -hmm. keeps you going, keeps me going. Yeah. And I know that I've, you know, a lot of people, because I think on every trail, even if it's shorter than, you know, the AT or the CDT or the PCT on every trail, you're going to have moments where you just don't want to be doing what you're doing anymore. Right. I I have to think that just like life. (laughs) No, exactly. Oh, so exactly. But, and I think this was, this was the advice I've heard from a couple of people is, is like, you have to know your why, why are you out there? What are you, what are you hoping to get out of this experience? Yeah, I think that's so true. I, I I know I'm reading Appalachian trials right now, which is a big, a lot of people read and he puts a lot of emphasis on that yeah and I think I 
I think it's a good thing to think about. I think I have many answers. <laughs> Can I share to you? Oh, I, sure. Yeah. I mean, I think as a teacher, I like to think I'm kind of putting my money where my mouth is about like telling students they can do everything that they think they're capable of. And if they just commit to something and work hard, they can do it. I feel like doing something like this sort of proves it to me and to them in a way that is hopefully in a, will impress upon them like the truth of it and the, as how much I actually believe in that. <laughs> but what else? I mean, I just, I really don't want to, I want to live a lot while I'm alive and I don't want to wait until when, like when am I supposed to wait until when I'm retired <laughs> and I might not physically be able to do stuff like this. Like, I just want to have adventures. I think that's a good reason. <laughs> Even though sometimes it doesn't feel like a good enough reason. What do you mean? I don't know. I think, I think if you tell somebody you're, you're quitting your job and subletting your room and doing all this because you want to have an adventure, I think sometimes it can sound a little silly, but I don't actually think it's silly. I think it's a good reason. <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's even, I'm going to say this, but even it's as simple, quote unquote, an, a reason as that I, I want to have an adventure while I can enjoy it and appreciate it and so forth, I think scares people. I think so too. I wonder if it makes them wonder what what kind of adventures they might want to go on that they're not taking. <laughs> I don't know. I also maybe it's not have. everyone's Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I know not everyone's dying to do something like this either, but, but perhaps still, everyone has something they're dying yes, to do. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think everybody has their own form of adventure, so to speak. So Mm-hmm. And it would be a, a very exciting world if people took more adventures. I think so, too. Yeah, I think we have a lot to learn from doing hard things like this that take a little bit of dedication and commitment and research and work and sacrifice. I think that makes it worth it. <laughs> Just all the work you put into it. I think you probably, I mean, you've got to learn a lot about yourself. I'm hoping I'll become more mindful, more patient. All kinds of things. Was the long trail long enough for for some of that? I think so. I mean, I definitely experienced a little bit of what I've heard people say about longer trails where you can't, you sort of are stuck with your thoughts in a way that you're not in your everyday life where you have all these escapes, right? Like I'm always watching Netflix or I'm on my phone. <laughs> I hate that I'm one of those people, but I think most of us are, you know? But I definitely had times where I just kind of kept, I felt the same, I found the same thoughts kind of running through my mind over and over. And I had to be like, okay, why does that keep coming up? <laughs> Either like something about an old relationship or something about what am I doing with my life? All these kind of big life questions that I think are easy to push to the side when you have all kinds of distractions. I found myself having to deal with them a little bit more. I think that's probably good. And having the time to actually think about them. Yeah, having the time being forced to take the time <laughs> to kind of work through some some of that. I think I did I did experience that even though it wasn't a super long trail. I think just a couple days without service will do it. <laughs> <laughs> We're so used to now having connectivity 
to everything. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be lying too. If I said I wasn't on top of some mountains, holding my phone up, just like desperately trying to get online. I did do that. And I probably will do it again, but I did have a lot of time where I couldn't and also didn't try, you know, for a day or two or three at a time. Did you find yourself as as the trail progressed, slowing down, being more okay or calm about being disconnected? Yes. In fact, I felt like I was really getting there and then the trail ended. (laughs) I got home and you know, what's funny is even though it was only a few weeks, I got home and I, the first night I slept in my house again, I was like, God, I can hear all of the things that are plugged in, in my house. I haven't. Yeah. Like, I mean, I can right now in my house, I think if I try, I can kind of hear the fridge and all the stuff that's plugged in, but I hadn't noticed it. And then I came home and it was really, really obvious to me. I could just hear all of these, all these things that were plugged in. (laughs) And I was like, God, I kind of liked not hearing that for a while and just being terrified of animals instead. (laughs) You get so used to the noise pollution that you forget that it's noise pollution. Yeah, you do. Yeah. I live in Boston and we, I mean, we live close enough to hear the subway outside of our window, you know? So Mm -hmm. there's so much noise. There's so many people, there's all kinds of cars and ambulances and everything that I don't even notice it anymore until I'm away for a while. Did you notice when you were out on the trail, did you notice the silence or the natural silence we'll call it? Yeah. I mean, also, the not silence, like I always some sort of noises happening, you know, always birds, always chipmunks and red squirrels. I, I actually had to, I would love to say that I fell asleep to the nature sounds every night, but I had to listen to podcasts and stuff sometimes or else I start imagining much larger animals than are actually out there, <laughs> even though I know it's not something reasonable. Did you have any large animal encounters? I saw moose twice on the long trail. That was cool. That is cool. How close? The The first one was at Sterling Pond, which is pretty far north. And it was just laying in the water, <laughs> lying in the water. And uh, me and a couple, there's like a mother daughter who were hiking the long trail too. We all just stood there and watched it for so long. We just watched it eat this grass from under the water and it was really cool. I just sat there and it was not that far from us. It was maybe 20 feet away. Oh, just wow. totally chill. Yeah, just laying there in the water. <laughs> it was very cool. We we kept watching it and then we went up to the shelter and then we all went back down to see if it was still there. <laughs> it just did not care about us. It was really cool. And then another time I saw a moose, I was alone hiking early in the morning. Like I got up really early and left when it was still dark. And it was maybe 5.30 in the morning and I heard this really loud noise and I knew it was a larger animal. Like I actually knew. I looked over and there was a moose. I don't know how far, maybe again, about 20 feet, pretty close. And it just was standing there looking at me like it had realized I was there the same time as I realized it was there. And we just looked at each other for a second and then it just walked away slowly. (laughs) I was like, that was cool. (laughs) I mean, nothing happened, you know, it was pretty chill, but it was really, really, really cool. I'm glad I got to see a couple of moose. No bears. Are there any other larger animals up there to be concerned about? I don't think so. No, I mean, I've seen bears in the whites before, but I saw no bears in Vermont, although they're around. Yeah, no, I mean, 
I don't think there are other large animals. I feel like I probably would have known if there were. You don't know won't hurt you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's fine. <laughs> Circling back to your to your sleep system. So you said you had an REI, was it half or quarter dome? The quarter dome, yeah, the one person. What did you end up using like for sleeping bag and for for pad? I had an REI um, 20 degree down bag and one of those, what is it called? The fold up, um, like not an inflatable one. The one everyone has, is it called the Z-Lite? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I had. I just had that. How did that go? I've since bought an inflatable. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, it was really okay. If it was the only reason I, I now have an inflatable is because I've been doing colder camping and prep for the AT, but Honestly, for the hot weather, I was fine with it. I was fine with my whole thing was okay. I wasn't uncomfortable. I do also use a pillow, like a blow-up pillow that I just got on Amazon that's a off-brand, a light pillow, which I love. I need a pillow, I realized. Like clothes in a bag does not work for me. <laughs> Are you a like a side sleeper, a back front sleeper or what? I sleep on my stomach most of the time, but I move around. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the 20 degree bag, man, that's old. And I tried to sleep in it in like 50 degrees af- more recently and it was not warm enough. <laughs> it's not a good 50 degrees? bag. And it was like maybe in the forties and I was freezing. So now I have a zero degree that I just bought, but for the long trail, I mean, it was like 80 degrees, 70 degrees the whole time. And that 20 degree down bag, I think maybe, I think I definitely sleep cold. But I was comfortable enough with that pad and with that sleeping bag. What What did you just change your sleeping bag out to? Um, it's hike and bike. Have you heard of them? Never. Tell me. Oh, more. they're like a. They're. I mean, they're great. They're a smaller company, and they make their whole thing is making affordable gear for through hikers, and they give out micro loans to community members, and they do like uh, payment plans, and they just their whole thing is trying to make good gear affordable. So I'm a big fan. I bought this zero degree bag. I love it. It's I've been sleeping in it a lot since it got cold to try to get used to (laughs) sleeping in the cold and it's been great. So yeah, I'm a big fan of them. How did you find out about them? Because I literally have never heard of them before. I can't remember the first time I saw them either from a Facebook group or from just a Google search. I ran across them a couple times and then I'm in this women's Appalachian trail group, which is, it's got a ton of members. And I searched hike and bike the way that they spell it with two Y's. And I found a bunch of posts about it and almost everyone had good experiences with the gear. So I decided to go for it and it's really good. Yeah. It's hike and bike. I guess they're not just for through hikers. Right. But they do, um, they do a lot of like bike trip sort of like they cater to that community too. Are they based in the States? In the States, yes, but I okay. I can't remember where. I don't think near me. I think maybe on the West Coast. I'm guessing. <laughs> I can't remember. No worries. I will make sure to uh, flag them, though, on your, your Gear and Wisdoms page. Oh, yeah. So that, check them out. So that other people can find them. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a big fan of them. Um, I'm also going to be buying a new tent. I'm buying the new Quarter Dome. So you're going to stick with the Quarter Dome? I am. I really like it. The only reason I'm buying a new one is because I got a big rip in my rain fly. <laughs> and I don't want to start with uh, 
gear that is so damaged. I, I think I could maybe repair it, but I think it's probably not a good idea right before a six-month hike. Yeah, you're going to be putting a lot of wear and tear on that sucker. Right? Yeah, but it was perfect for the long trail. I mean, I had it, and I had used it for years before, so it was good. You got your money's worth. I think I did, yeah. And I'm I'm kind of I'm 5'4", so I think for me at least it was plenty of room. I think maybe for someone taller they might need more room. Were you able to keep because you said your rain fly on your pack flew off. Were you able mm. to keep your gear dry after that? Yeah, well, I did that thing where I lined my bag anyway with a um trash compactor bag. Mm-hmm. I've always done that. And so that helps. And I also keep my sleeping bag and my nighttime clothes in a dry sack. So I kind of have a few different layers of <laughs> defense. And I, I don't think I, I don't think I like a rain cover. I mean, ever since I got sucked off in the wind, <laughs> I kind of decided I don't, I don't think it's worth it. I think you might as well just use the tr- the trash bag or trash compactor bag and dry sack anything that's really important, like electronics or your sleeping bag. Because everything's going to get wet. Everything else is going to get wet anyway. <laughs> right. Which is, I think, ultimately what ends up happening. Right? Like your tent's wet. You're going to carry on a wet tent, your shoes, your clothes. Everything else is wet. And that's okay. <laughs> Once you got in the wet, like, did things dry or were you literally hiking in wet gear which is probably where your your skin irritation thing came through but like you were hiking in wet stuff you put on wet stuff on the in the morning and and you just you were wet yeah I mean that was about it like I said I was just I was just reading through my journal again to remember and that's all I wrote about for like a week and a half was just I thought trail runners were supposed to dry quickly. <laughs> They're still so wet. And my so- all my socks are wet and my clothes are wet and everything's wet. And I just wish we would have one dry afternoon and it's not coming anytime soon. Like, yet nothing dried. I mean, my sleeping bag was still fairly dry because I kept it in the dry sack. But even then, it's like the tent just kept being wet. So it started to get, the sleeping bag started to get wet too. After a while, I mean, I don't know how you avoid it if it's going to be raining right? If it's going to be raining for a couple weeks straight, that's just, (laughs) it's just how it is. Yeah. No, I did not get anything dry for a while. It's rough. And even if you go into town and spend a night at a motel or a hostel or something, one night, if you don't zero, it's kind of still not long enough. You're still putting on wet shoes in the morning, probably. I guess unless you can find a dryer and just like tumble everything. Yeah. Which feels to me like like most people would think that was rude to do to their dryer. <laughs> I guess it depends. <laughs> it, because there's such different places that you stay, right? Like I stayed in a couple of really nice inns where they let you do your laundry and I feel like I couldn't get away with it there. But then I stayed in some hostels that were very laid back and, you know, everything's DIY. I probably could have gotten away with it. Probably everybody else was doing the same thing. Yeah, which is really fun. I love staying in hiker hostels, man everyone's the same. Everyone's kind of hiker trash and <laughs> yeah, doing whatever shortcuts they can to get their stuff dry or get as much food in as they can. <laughs> I think that, cause that the other big thing I hear from people is, you know, you have the, the water guzzling thing, but you also have the food binging thing. Yeah. You know, on the long trail, I don't think I was actually out there long enough to really experience hunker, hiker hunter. Hiker hunter. Oh my God. <laughs> Hiker hunger. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, 
but I still like acted like I was experiencing it. What do you mean? When I stopped, <laughs> when I stopped in town, I would have so much food. I mean, and I, I guess even if you just go for a long day hike, right, you're hungry at the end of it. So it makes sense to be hungry at the end of a hike. But I was eating a lot and I was eating a lot, especially in town. I like eating anyway. But I was eating as though I'd been on the trail for four months when I was (laughs) two weeks. (laughs) Yes, please give me that meal. I would love dessert. Thank you so much. Yeah, totally. And I mean, (laughs) yeah, it was great. I feel like I I really did get like, oh, go ahead. No, go for it. I was going to say, I feel like I really did get like a mini version of a long, a longer trail, you know, where I felt like I had hiker hunger and I went into town and ate a ton and <laughs> did all that stuff. So are are you ready for, we'll call it real hiker hunger? I don't know. I think so. I'm just always so hungry. I can't imagine it being more, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I am. I le- That's actually one of the things I like about hiking and going on multi-day hikes is I feel like it's one of the times that I feel like I can eat whatever I want and it's totally great. It's fine. You need all the calories, you know? Yeah. It's just so interesting what those calories end up being. I know. <laughs> I know. I, I definitely crave different stuff when I'm hiking. Like when I'm not hiking, I very mu- I like to cook. I like to eat a lot of vegetables. And I definitely turn into someone who just likes to eat junk immediately. After like one day of hiking, I just want like a whole pizza or whatever, a burger. So what, what was the other, we'll call it junk, but what was the other stuff that you were eating out there? Hmm. I really like candy. I'm like, like I was talking about that sour gummy bears. I'm really into candy. I will just eat any kind of gummy, fruity candy. That's my main thing. <laughs> and it's just trash, you know, it has nothing good for you. <laughs> it's just sugar. But yeah, what else? Yeah, I'm not really like a chocolate. A lot of people like chocolate. I know a lot of people talk about Snickers and candy bars and stuff, and that stuff doesn't appeal to me quite as much. I like fruity candy and I like cheese. <laughs> I could just eat cheese and tortillas and hot sauce. Cheese is a big one out there, though, for some reason. Yeah, it is. I guess it's really filling, you know, and it's also got some nutritional value. Did you try carrying a block of cheddar or, or something with you and kind of? Yeah, I did that. Day? Okay. Yeah, that's something I've always done. Even just hiking for a couple of days in the whites or whatever, I always bring like a chunk of Gouda or cheddar or something. It goes with tortillas or crackers or whatever kind of bread, pita bread. Yeah, no, I, I, something I really satisfying about about cheese. Oh wait, what, what was there? No, I was, was there I was a picture just, of cheese? There wasn't a picture of cheese, <laughs> but you did have a picture of chocolate nut butter and spice drops. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is a really odd combination, I gotta say. Is it? Yeah, it is. No, I think that's probably why I took the picture because I was like, check out this crazy thing I'm eating. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of weird. And that, but still that sounds good to me and I haven't been hiking. So <laughs> maybe it's me, not the hike. I, I would be interested to hear what happens if you, when you try it now. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I don't and know. I'd be interested to see the looks that you get when you try it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, it would be too. I think some of the like really popular hiking meals don't, I don't really like, like I always think I'm going to want tuna in a tortilla. And then when I have it, I'm just like, Oh God, this is the last thing I want. I just want more cheese. 
So I don't know. I might cut tuna out in the future. We'll have to, you'll have to figure out where to get your protein from. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I've been eating, I don't eat a lot of meat in my everyday life, but I think, I don't think I'm going to try to cut it out on the trail because it's just such an easy way to get protein is, you know, with like jerky or summer sausage or pepperoni or whatever. Yep. All of the, you're ticking all the boxes for a through hiker. Yeah. Do you like that kind of stuff? I like jerky. Yeah. Never been a big fan of summer sausage, but you know, when, when, uh, when you need to. Yeah. (laughs) It does a lot. You know, you can carry it around for a while and it's pretty good. Yeah. Well, and I think that that, that becomes the, the test for every food is can you carry it with you? You know, does it last for a while, for a few days at least? Yeah. And that's one of the things I really like about hiking in weather that's not 80 degrees is you can really carry a lot more food when it's cooler out. Because even cheese, like hard blocks of cheese are okay for a few days, no matter what I find. But they do get really like gooey and gross when it's very hot out. Even if, you know, like it's not going to make you sick, I guess, but it's not, it doesn't look or feel that great to eat it (laughs) when it's melting in the bag, (laughs) which is what happened on the long trail. Yeah. I've heard people describe it as uh, the cheese gets greasy. It really does. To the point where you're sitting there wondering if it's okay and you smell it and you're like, I know it's okay. It's not going to make me sick. It's cheese. You know, it's fermented. It's, Mm -hmm. it's okay for a couple of days for sure. But yeah, it's not as appealing, unfortunately. <laughs> Did you get to the point out there where you, where the food had to be appealing for you to eat it, or could you still stick with the stuff like the couscous and that kind of stuff, even if it wasn't necessarily appealing? Yeah, I don't know. Even though I'm saying I, I'm like always hungry and I love eating. Like I remember eating the couscous being kind of a struggle, and just not really wanting it, <laughs> but eating it anyway, you know, cause I knew I needed to eat it. I had cooked it and I didn't want to, you know, leave no trace. It's tough when you make a meal you don't like because you're not going to dump it and you don't want to carry it out with you. <laughs> so you might as well eat it. And yeah, it was, I remember sitting there, I was like alone at this shelter. I forget what shelter it was, but I sat there just kind of choking down this couscous because I just kept imagining carrying it like this heavy, wet couscous out with me. And I was like, I don't want to yeah. do that. So, yeah, I definitely I had a little trouble eating stuff that wasn't appealing to me, for sure, by the end. So you were out there long enough. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have much uh, experience with, like, trail angels and trail magic? I had a few. I You know, I didn't expect to run into any of it, really, and I... Had a couple experiences like um, the one that really stands out is I'm blanking now on what town it was, but it was one of the little Vermont towns up north. I stopped and I went to a restaurant and it was before I even went to my hostel or anything like you, I kind of I hitched a ride into town with an AT hiker, which is great. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to eat. I'm going to resupply and then I'm going to get to my hostel. And so I went to this restaurant and I got a beer and I got dinner And this guy sat next to me and he chatted with me for a while. We're talking about politics. And it was kind of clear that like we didn't agree. We were kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum. (laughs) And I was like, all right, I don't know how this is going to end up. But but we were both really nice and we had a nice conversation and he left. And then maybe 
20 minutes after he left, I went to pay and the bartender was like, oh, that guy already paid your whole bill. And I was like, really? (laughs) I mean, we weren't, we had like a totally civil discussion, but we weren't, you know, we didn't click. I didn't, I was really surprised by it. And I was like, wow, that's like, that's some real trail magic. I think is someone just, (laughs) he didn't say anything. He didn't want me to, he clearly, he wasn't looking for someone to be like, thank you so much. You know, like he just dipped out. So that was one time where I just was like, I can't believe that just happened. And I'm, you know, I was pretty broke. So it's kind of (laughs) nice, but I was really, I was kind of, I was kind of blown away by that, especially because I feel like when that kind of thing happens, it's either, either you just really click or someone really feels for you because they know you're doing the trail, but this felt totally like kind of some magic. (laughs) Very nice of him. A A case of the universe providing. Yeah, I think so. And such a nice guy. I wish I could say thank you. And I never did. <laughs> but maybe, hey, who knows? Maybe. <laughs> he'll exactly. hear this. Maybe he'll catch this. <laughs> you never know. Yeah, but, but I actually, I ran into a lot. I mean, this like summer camp group gave me an ice cream cone on one of those really hot days. And I remember just wanting to like cry because I was so happy about that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, a bunch of little things, you know, water bottle someone gave me rides i i got a couple rides that were really nice so how was the ride situation the hitchhiking situation it was okay i hitchhiked i only hitchhiked alone once and i was really scared it was in this tiny town called montgomery center in northern vermont and it was like really tiny and i had already i found someone on facebook to pick me up from from the trail and bring me to the town and then i was i went and got dinner and i asked the waiter if he knew I was like you know it's just such a small town do you know of anyone that shuttles to and from the trail and he said oh just hitch everybody hitches and I was like oh god okay (laughs) and I met someone else and I asked the same question it was like the guy working at the convenience store he said yeah just hitch and I was like oh my god I guess it's time like I kind of had prepared myself for hitching but I spent the whole night in the hostel just reading up on how to hitchhike (laughs) And everyone was like, put your poles away, smile, you know. So I did that and I had my mace in my hand the whole time because I was so terrified. (laughs) But a super nice older guy came by in his pickup truck and he was like, just throw your bag in the back. And he gave me a ride and he was super nice. He just wanted to hear about the trail. And it was great. It was fine. He dropped me off. And I was like, all right. And I I did have my hand in my pocket on my mace the whole time just because... You know, I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it does. It feels a little reckless, doesn't it? But it was fine. Yeah. And I think especially being from the city, it feels a little like I'm really suspicious of friendly strangers. It just feels too good to be true. But it was fine. And then I hitchhiked with other people a couple times. And that was felt a lot better. Honestly, I met a guy from the AT. We hitchhiked together. And that just feels so much safer. I don't know why, really. I guess just safety in numbers. Well, and I, I could also think that hitching with a guy would feel safer. Yeah, 100%. It just feels like someone's much less likely to pick me and some guy up if they were trying to take advantage of someone, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I liked that. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. And I'm, I'm sure on the flip side of that, the guy you were hitching with, you know, it's obviously much easier for him to get a ride when he's hitching with a woman. Oh, right. Yeah. It's win-win. What do they call it? There's a name for it. Uh, a ride ride. ride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. 
Yeah, I remember coming out of the woods this day and thinking, oh, God, I have to hitchhike into town and seeing this guy standing up there. And I was like, oh, thank God. And I ran right up. <laughs> and I had that that name in my head. I was like, I'll, I guess I can be a ride bride right now. It's great. <laughs> and he was happy to see me and I was happy to see him. And we got a ride like right away. So it does work. There, it, there is such a thing as a uh, trail karma. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, you help each other out. It's all good. Or what is the, the phrase that I hear a lot is the trail provides. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. I think that's so true. Even just on the long trail, like during the drought, quote unquote drought, even though I said I wasn't having issues with it, but every time I passed a road crossing or a parking lot, there was a cooler of water. I mean, I didn't need it, so I didn't take it. But if I did need it, that would have been such a lifesaver, you know? Like if I had been out of water for a couple miles in that heat. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty amazing. I, I can't, I kind of can't believe there's such a community of people who just care about the trail and about the hikers who aren't actively hiking it, who are actively doing things to help hikers. Like, that's crazy to me. And I love that it exists. And I hope to be one of those people at some point. <laughs> but it's really beautiful, I think. Absolutely. It's, it's incredible, particularly in the world we live in now where all the news cycles are about all the bad stuff. Yeah, no, I think so too. It's surprising in the best way. <laughs> when you got off the trail, did you, did you do any trail magic later in the season? I didn't, you know, I mean, this is my excuse is that I live in Boston and I don't have a car. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah so I didn't I haven't done a whole lot I mean the only thing that I think I've done that's anything like trail magic is like I've talked to a lot of people I know who are like interested in getting into hiking and sort of like lent out gear and tried to give a lot of advice and stuff like that especially women that I know who are like trying to get into solo hiking which I know is hard it was hard for me at first felt really scary so I mean, just trying to make sure people know that I have stuff they can borrow and if they have any questions, stuff like that. But no, I'm, I have not, I haven't done any trail magic, really. I'd love to. Your time will come. <laughs> I hope so. Are, are you feeling ready to get on the AT? I guess I'm feeling as ready as I can. I feel, I feel definitely a constant anxiety now that I'm about a month away. <laughs> feels very scary, but I'm, I mean, I'm ready and then I'm really excited and I've been wanting to do this forever. So yeah, I'm ready. I have my stuff. I have my plan. I have someone subletting my room. <laughs> I guess I'm ready. <laughs> it's terrifying though, you know? Yeah, I do. As a matter of fact. Yeah. So are you definite on going? Cause I feel like Last time I heard your show, you were like, I'm, I'm, there's some other stuff going on. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know 100% at this point. I'm still hedging. It, it's sort of a, a good news, good news thing. You know, I can either, I can either end up being on the trail, which would be amazing and wonderful, or a show that I have an opportunity to do as a, as a producer could also literally go at the same time. And so I'm kind of hedging both directions right now and just kind of seeing what happens, which isn't 
which in, a, in a one respect is a little frustrating because I would love to just know, you know, so that you can start kind of planning one direction versus another. But mm-hmm. I guess I'm sort of, it's, it's very funny. Like I'm sort of going into the, you know, how we were talking about the trail provides. I'm sort mm-hmm. of feeling like that is, that is what I'm letting happen. I'm, I just figure it's the trail providing. Like if I'm supposed to be on one's place versus the other, then the trail will provide, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh yeah, I do. I think that's exactly the way to think about it. Right. Like follow kind of both of these leads until it becomes clear which one you need to stick to. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think that sounds great. And win-win, like you said. So that's great. I, it is funny though, because I obviously keep talking about how, you know, 50th year, 2020 PCT and, and so forth. And then sort of out of the blue, this other opportunity is coming along and I'm kind of like, Oh my God, I was so certain about what I was going to be doing for the summer. <laughs> and now I'm not certain at all. Yeah. That's kind of great though. That's its own other kind of adventure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I thought I was going to do the AT a couple other times <laughs> and it didn't happen, and, but I was never really married to it. But I, I think, I think that happens a lot. It's a really hard thing to, so many things have to kind of align, right? Like, yeah, I was going to do it, kind of going to do it last year. And then I had something I had to do during the summer that I couldn't really get out of. And then I didn't want to get out of, <laughs> but you know, I think, would you do it later on if you didn't do it now? Do you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm still committed to doing the trail and maybe, maybe it's just to make myself feel better about it. If I have to make the other choice, or if I make the other choice that the trail will always be there. No, that's true though. And I mean, as much as it might feel good to do it with like even numbers, like 50 and 2020, like that doesn't matter at all. (laughs) Really at the end of the day, if you do it, whenever you do it, it's going to be amazing. Yeah. It's funny though, because in my head I've sort of, and I probably everybody has the same thing, like built up the idea or started to, I guess, conceptualize what the idea of hiking the trail will be like, how tough it will be, how amazing it will be, the people you'll meet and, and what, even though not necessarily defining what the experience will be, but more sort of nebulously what the experience will be and how life changing it can be. And so it's been a little hard to make space for this other amazing possibility to coexist. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a necessary part of planning, right, is sort of visualizing all this stuff and imagining how hard it's going to be and how great it's going to be. All that stuff is like really important preparation that you have to do. And then, so if you're, if you try to kind of switch gears, I think probably your, your brain and your heart are like, Oh wait, (laughs) I've been prepping for this. (laughs) I've been thinking yeah, about hard. this forever. Yeah. Yeah. Really. I mean, I totally get it. I, it's just not, it's hard. It's hard no matter what. <laughs> I, I was, I was, or I am. I, I see. I don't even know what, what tenses to use anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I understand. Oh my gosh. Like what would you consider to be your most difficult or toughest time on the trail? Uh, on the long trail? Yeah. I think definitely the camel's hump day that I can get over the top. It was just, it was really miserable. And I kept slipping and falling and like hurting myself. And I 
hiked a total of like three miles that day. (laughs) And I just felt I was so disappointed in not making it over the top. I can't even tell you. I mean, I really was, I was just so discouraged and I felt like everything was going wrong. (laughs) Like I was definitely not going to make it to the end of the long trail, but it got better. It got better that same day. So I guess it wasn't too much of a rock bottom. But did that, I guess, teach you a lesson about the trail in that in this moment, it may be awful or tough, difficult, whatever word you want to use for it. But in the next moment, it could completely turn around. For sure. Yeah. Because like, like three good things happened that day after the bad thing of not being able to get over camel's hump. Right. I kept slipping and falling. I felt like I wasn't quite sure where the bypass trail was because I wasn't planning on going that way. And so I felt I wasn't sure if I was lost or not. But then I came across actually this really cool thing. It's well, I don't know. Cool is the right word. But there's this <laughs> old plane crash. It's like a B-52. Oh, God. Now I don't know if that's the right plane. Some kind of plane crash um, that happened like in the 50s on camel's hump and you can still see the wreckage. And so people, I had read about it and I'd read that it was like a side trail. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. It's out of the way, but people go and look at it because there's still a big part of the plane there. And I like, just, I was so frustrated and I wasn't sure if I was on the right trail. And I looked up and there was like a crashed plane in front of me. And I was like, Oh my God, that's the wreckage that everybody goes and tries to find. Like, I know it's not, um, you know, it's, it's it's sad. It's a kind of a solemn moment when you find something like that. But mm-hmm. it was pretty cool to have just stumbled on that thing that people try and look for on this mountain, you know. And so it was like, okay, I didn't go over the summit, but I saw this other thing that I never thought I was going to see. I totally thought I was not going to even try to look for this. But here it is. And it wasn't even like you were looking up and seeing it, like you stumbled on it. Oh, yeah. It was like all of a sudden I... I was like, is this some kind of, the way it looked was like a, I almost thought it was a trailer for a second or something. Like I couldn't, and then it hit me that I had read all about this (laughs) and that it was a big thing that people tried to find. So yeah, it was super cool. And then I, and then I ran into this woman. It was almost like otherworldly. Like she was super pregnant halfway up this mountain. And she just was like, do you want a peach? Like, are you through hiking? You must be really hungry for fresh food. And I have all these peaches and I was like, sure, I want a peach. And so like, I see this plane and then I get this fresh, big peach, juicy peach and I ate it. And then I got to the shelter and there was this guy, big bear that I had hiked with for like a day or so. He's, he's a Canadian guy going South as well. And he also couldn't make it over the top. And he was like, I am so frustrated. I'm just calling it a day, even though I only hiked like three miles today. And I was like, Oh, Like you're this big, strong guy and you also couldn't get over the top and you're also so frustrated. Like, cool. Let's both make like five dinners at this shelter and just give up. And so, I I mean, yeah, by the end of that day, I was like, okay, the worst day is really not that bad, at least so far. (laughs) And it really, Mm -hmm. that was the worst day. And all these cool things also happened. So even on my worst day, I have not had a really, really horrible day, I don't think. (laughs) <laughs> it's all perspective. It's amazing how perspective is or, or how hindsight is, I guess. It is, isn't it? Because I remember just being like, I hate this. I hate this so much. <laughs> and then it was kind of like, boom, boom, boom. Several kind of cool things happened. And I was like, all right, I'm going to be all right. I can try again tomorrow. 
it, it is, I don't, I don't necessarily believe in a, you know, religion and that kind of stuff, but I do believe in the universe and the universe. If you're open to the universe, the, the universe is open to you, so to speak. Oh yeah. I think, I think there's a lot to be said to just trying to be someone who is not, um, I mean, I think, I guess I was already talking about this, but sticking to the one expectation you had of this certain mountain or the certain day or this hike, this whole hike, what that's going to look like for you and how it's going to feel and how great it's going to be. Like, cause if you, if it's awful and you just kind of let it be awful, I guess everybody says embrace the suck or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I guess that's what exactly. I'm talking about. Because really it's like, if, yeah, if you just kind of trust that something else, something different is going to happen later today or tomorrow or whatever, it's not always going to be you falling on the rocks after you couldn't get over the mountain. <laughs> like that's not, yeah. Like even though that's what's happening right now, it's not the essence of this hike. That's not the whole thing. It's going to get better and it's going to make yeah. the better things feel even better. Absolutely. It, it's funny in talking about this, the thing that just flashed in my mind is I was just working with a director over here and the episode we were shooting was a, was a struggle. Like it was just, it was a big episode and we were trying to do a lot with it. And, and there would be scenes at the end of the day that just wouldn't get shot and we'd end up pushing them to the next day and, and stuff. And, and he was basically telling me that he, a long time ago in his career, basically came to the realization that if it was not meant to happen, it wasn't meant to happen. And that it will happen in its time. So don't get married to, oh my God, I have to get all of this. I have to do it exactly this way. Because when it actually happens, it probably will be better because things will align more perfectly for it to happen. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's more organic, right? Like yeah, happened on its own. You can't force things to happen the way that you want them to as much as we all try to do that all the time. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we'll keep trying, but yeah. Yeah, at the end of the day, like, yeah, things have to sort of work out on their own to some degree, right? You can't, you can't have control over everything. Oh, but we love to try. We really do. I do. <laughs> Always. <laughs> what was your, what was your best time on trailer? What's, what's your favorite memory of the trail at this point? Oh, it's really hard to say. I mean, in the Bromley Mountain night was one, the night that I hung out with all those AT people. We had a great, beautiful night on the top of that mountain. But also when my dad came, that was really lovely. Like, he's the one who got me into hiking in the first place and who made me appreciate kind of just quietly being in nature, you know. So when he came a couple of days before I was done and we got to hike together and camp together and it was really, really cool to watch him. There was one night, I guess it was the first night he met up with me and we were, we stayed at a shelter. We stayed in our tents next to a shelter and there were a whole bunch of people there. We kind of made friends with everyone. And my dad, it was, everything was wet because it had been raining forever. Everyone was like, well, I guess we're not going to make a fire. And my dad just like threw together this blazing fire with like this soaking <laughs> wet firewood, you know, and it was really cool. And I was just like, so kind of proud, you know, I was like, that's my dad. Like I couldn't do that, but he can do it. And everyone started calling him or somebody said his trail name should be Firestarter. And it was just so nice. It felt like we were really doing it together. And like he, he was, I think he was feeling like he was going a little slow because he's a little older now, you know, and I think 
but then he clearly was the only one who could make a fire, you know? (laughs) So he has all these awesome like abilities that we didn't have. And we all kind of were able to learn from each other and get something of value out of like hanging out with each other. I think it was just, that was a really nice night. When he was on the trail with you, did you guys hike together or separately and meet up? Okay. You hiked together. Yeah, no, we stuck together because it was only a few days too. So it was like, felt kind of silly to split up. So we just stuck together. Yeah. And camped and it was like three days hiking, two nights. And then we finally hiked out into Williamstown, Mass, which is where it ends or North Adams, one of those two. And we like walked, we like went directly to a Mexican restaurant and got a pitcher of margaritas. And it was <laughs> amazing. <laughs> it was so good. And we just passed out in a motel afterwards. It was great. True hiker trash. Yeah, seriously. He taught me how to be hiker trash, <laughs> turns out. Really? That's awesome. No, I, I don't know. I don't know if he would like that, but <laughs> but it I was know, great. I kind of feel like he'd embrace it. I think, yeah, you might be right. <laughs> I mean, he was on the trail for three days and he got a trail name. Come on. That's true. Yeah, he killed it. <laughs> Is there anything that you think we should, t- or you feel like we should talk about that we haven't talked about yet? I don't think so. I think we hit a lot of uh, a lot of great stuff. <laughs> I don't think so. Okay, I'm going to bring up one last topic then. Okay. Which is related to the trail, but also really bizarre, which is the sign you posted <laughs> about harassed chickens. <laughs> oh, shoot. What exactly did it say? It was like electric fence. Uh, yeah, it was like electric offense, you know, don't harass the chickens or whatever. Oh, yeah. I just thought that was hilarious. So especially in the northern LT, you like walk through farms, like right through farms over electric fences on these like little stairways. And I just I, I got such a kick out of it. And I thought like how many hikers had to harass these chickens for these farmers <laughs> to have to post signs about it. And my aunt posted something like that's some fresh meat you can eat or something. And I was like, oh God, I hope nobody took the chickens and ate them on the trail. I don't think so. (laughs) But, but I I can just imagine like a handful of young hikers giving a hard time to some chickens. (laughs) Right. You just know that it happened. It's terrible. I know it. I mean, we know, right. How else would that sign exist? I know, which is (laughs) where you start developing these great stories about how it happened. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to see it. I know, right? I I could totally see that keeping people entertained for a couple of days when they go down the the trail or the the rabbit hole of that sign like you did. So harass chickens. So what happened to these chickens? What were these guys, what were these people doing and creating the stories around that? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, a lot of imagination going on there. (laughs) You can't look it up. We don't have service. <laughs> exactly. And you've got nothing but time on your hands at that point. Yeah, exactly. If people want to follow your continuing adventures on the AT, where can they best do that? Man, I'm going to make a trail journal at some point, but I guess the best place right now is my Instagram, which is OG's Trisha. <laughs> so O-H-G-E-E-Z-T-R-I-C-I-A, OG's Trisha. Okay, perfect. Do you have any interest in the Triple Crown? Um, oh, God. I don't know. It's definitely the kind of thing where, like, if I do the AT successfully, 
and it feels amazing, then I can definitely see myself getting sucked in, but it's not at all on my radar right now. How do you define successful and how do you find, um, how do you define amazing? Yeah. Right. I don't know. I guess <laughs> Honestly, I can't imagine a world where I finish the AT and I don't want to do another trail. <laughs> but it's not something I didn't I haven't talked about the AT or the Triple Crown at all. It's not something I've ever like articulated, I guess. But I definitely could see it happening. If yeah, if I finish the AT. I hate to say that, right? It feels like yes. bad luck. When I finish the AT, I might decide I want to do the others, but it's not on my radar right now. Yeah, it it does seem to be a bug that people pick up though. Doesn't it? I know. In in the back of my mind, I have this fear is probably the wrong word, but this thought that once you do the first one, because what I hear from people all the time, and I mean, and you've heard them say it probably as well, that once you do it, you fall in love with the lifestyle, you fall in love with the people and the trail and, and all of that. And you're just waiting to do it again. Yeah, absolutely. And I've heard people say that it's hard to connect back with everyone at home and everything because they haven't been doing what you've been doing. I can imagine that being tough, you know, and wanting to go back to where people have had the same experiences or are seeking those same experiences. So I don't know. Show notes and links for Trisha's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to Trisha for sharing her stories from the trail and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. Now I'm going to be down for the next week as I move myself back to LA, but after that, I would love to hear about your through hiking adventures. So please email me at hikingthroughpodcast at gmail.com or you can also DM me on Instagram at hikingthroughpodcast. And, you know, if you like what we're doing here, we'd love it if you would find us on your favorite podcast provider and leave a review. I'll see you on the trail.